You're listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater. Right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Tauranga lawyer Kirsten Murphy is standing for New Zealand first in the Bay of Plenty electorate this year. Kirsten qualified as a commercial and property lawyer after graduating from the University of Auckland in 1999 and has worked at some of the top law firms in Auckland and Australia. Kirsten returned to private practice at a family-friendly law firm in 2011 on the North Shore in Auckland, before relocating to family to Tauranga in 2015 and starting her own firm a year later. Kirsten is deeply concerned about the erosion of democracy in New Zealand and feels it is time to restore true democratic process, both locally in Tauranga and in Wellington for all New Zealanders. Kirsten is with me now. Kirsten Murphy, welcome to The Crunch. Hi, Cam. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, you're a difficult person to get hold of, and I understand you're you're flat out campaigning and everything, and you're um, picking and choosing which media you talk to, especially after Radio New Zealand decided to hunt you down and try and doorstep you for some comments about, apparently, your conspiracy theory tendencies. Oh, yeah, it was interesting that um, I felt like I was being stalked, actually. And I didn't realize at the time they were recording me, but as always, I'm always very professional. Mm. Um, so I think their biggest complaint was my New Zealand first business card didn't have my mobile number on it. <laughs> and my mobile number is actually readily available on KM Law's website. Well, we didn't have any problem finding your mobile number or your email address. So Radio New Zealand's researchers clearly are not as good as reality check radios. I couldn't comment. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the, I, was, I listened to that crazy podcast or news story that Radio New Zealand ran, you know, breathlessly talking about how New Zealand First has been infiltrated by conspiracy theorists. And one of the people that they interviewed in there had this like talking or, or tweeting bird. And they spent, you know, a minute or two talking about this bird and how it's upset because it's refeathering itself. And, well, and, I'm actually just very the, concerned about democracy in New Zealand and the erosion of democracy and the trajectory our country's on. So I'm sorry I don't have a parrot in the background. No, but but it, it does raise an interesting question. They're you know, accusing people like yourself uh, and, and many, many others of being you know, conspiracy theorists. They've got these other crazies on the radio from yeah, you know, the disinformation project. Uh, they've got that Sanjana Hatawera and Kate Hanger uh, wringing her hands about this conspiracy theory and people infiltrating political parties. But isn't the real threat to democracy our media now? Absolutely. And the media was responsible with the government back in 2020 of creating a state of absolute hysteria. Fear, fear. I mean, to be completely honest with you, I did wash my cans. And I look back on that and actually, <laughs> I'm like, what was I thinking? Like, how how did I even think that germs could stay on a can? But the reason I was so paranoid was my husband had just gone into remission from leukemia and then his kidney disease had just started. So I was just so terrified that if I was to bring it home, it would mm. kill him. Yeah. But as he said so many times, like, He's a grown man. He can look after himself. He didn't want the country to be locked down. He was quite capable of looking after himself. Mm. Yeah. And so, yeah, the the media is responsible for a lot. Yeah. I mean, they were 
uh, Jacinda Ardern's handmaidens in reality. Yeah. Uh, they and- they rammed home the messaging that they wanted, which was to basically lock up a healthy population on the basis of one case in New Zealand. A probable, wasn't it? Mm, Rather than exactly. an actual case. Yeah. Um, also, if I do recall correctly, wasn't uh, stuff sold for $1? Yeah. I would have put you know, it for one dollar if it gone for tender. I would have actually paid more than one dollar for it, so they would have got maybe, a better deal. Maybe, 10. and it just seems very strange that they follow that agenda and narrative. Ever since, yeah. well, that is exactly right. You know, the stuff and uh, are one of the largest beneficiaries of the public interest journalism fund, mm. and and it didn't seem to me that much of what they were producing from that fund was either in the public interest or journalism. So I'm wondering when we get that money back. Exactly. I just want the fourth estate back. <laughs> the media to start actually doing their job to be independent, to look at both sides of the story and actually hold the government to account. That is their job. It's also the job of uh, minor parties, really, to be the contrarian voice, mm. isn't it? Yeah, and I think we've really seen in the last three years where New Zealand First as minor party hasn't been in Parliament, what can go wrong? It's very hard to prove how they've stopped various things going ahead. Mm. But, I mean, there's no debate that the last three years so much has been fast-tracked and so much legislation has been put through stealthily. Submissions have not been listened to. The deadlines for submissions are often unreal. Mm. So there is no, it's just a tick the box, we've consulted, we've listened to the people, move on. But it would seem to me in many cases they've already made up their minds. Well, I mean, there's a couple of key areas that affect me personally uh, where consultation, you know, they 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 laud it as being important. And then it's you see it, it's like you've got five days to submit. And, mm. you know, particularly on firearms laws and things like that, five days to submit. And then the overwhelming weight of the submissions mm. from the public are against what the proposals are, and yet they ram them through anyway. So you have to wonder why you bothered even submitting. Exactly. And like the Therapeutic Drugs uh, Products Act, sorry. I mean, there was over 8,000 submissions and they still pushed through the act. But I can't understand what the problem is that they're trying to solve with that. I've really tried to grapple with that, Bill. Maybe you could inform the listeners about what they were trying to solve and whether the bill is going to even get close to solving that particular problem if there even was a problem. I don't believe there was a problem. I've been taking vitamin C my whole life. (laughs) Mm. I take other supplements as well. I've never had an issue. I've never heard of anyone overdosing. That doesn't mean that it hasn't happened, but it's a very unlikely event. Mm. So what they're doing is actually going to be adding more red tape, which is actually only going to increase the cost of these natural supplements, which you, as a lawyer, you sort of look at a whole lot of different questions and you're like, well, why is this happening has Big Pharma via the vaccine got more influence over our government than we actually realise? And that is just a question rather than a statement. But that's what a lawyer's job is to do, mm. is to actually ask questions. And that's what I've been doing it's a journalist for the last too. three years. Yeah, It's a journalist's job too, to ask questions. They don't seem to be asking very many questions. They're making some quite bold statements, twisting facts, I mean, I had a quick skim read of that stuff article. I'm not actually not really interested in it. 
I'm more interested in actually saving our country because I am so concerned about what's happening. Mm. But they did make a reference to, they were trying to say that I thought that people that had had the jab weren't human, which I found very, very bizarre. Like, why would I say that? Um, I'm very much about freedom of choice. If you wish to take it, take it. If you don't, you shouldn't be forced into it and coerced. And I think most New Zealanders will agree with that. And most New Zealanders weren't for the mandates. But one example, I I managed to find it on Telegram Mm. because there are like a whole lot of different pollies on there. Mm. Um, There are like posts from years and years ago. So it's actually very hard to find things. But I'd posted an article to the Nature Journal, yeah, one of the most prestigious medical journals in the world. And I forwarded that. And at the top of it, the reason I forwarded it was there was a chart. So there was an extract from the journal, yeah, which was looking at the impact of the vaccine. And the person that had originally wrote it said something about people not being human. But that's not what I said. I just forwarded an article. And then that's how much stuff twists things. So I do actually believe I had a really good case of defamation there, but I'm just sort of putting that in the back pocket at the moment and just considering my options. Well, I'm a bit of an expert on defamation now, having having been sued three times, but uh, it's the process is the punishment, not Mm -hmm. the actual finding of the defamation. Um, You know, it's the whole process that they put you through. Um, But, you know, would you get anywhere with stuff? It's worth a dollar. Maybe it's worth 50 cents now. Well, I'm not Char- sure what it's Charlie actually Mitchell. worth. It was worth a dollar back then. Yeah. <laughs> What's it worth now? Um, I don't think I'd actually tie up the court's time. I mean, it's nice to think about these things, but I've actually got bigger picture stuff that I'm trying to achieve. Yeah. So if they want to be, you know, schoolyard, I mean, I grew up the, my whole life, ginger nut, carrot top, ginger nut, carrot top. I'm used to it from a very yeah. young age. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's just nice to have it in my back pocket knowing that if I need to use it, I can use it, but I don't think I'm going to tie up the court's time. I want to get into Parliament and actually start reeling back what this government's done in the last three years. You know, you you raise, you know, things that you were called when you were at school. And, you know, with with my surname, Slater, you can imagine what I was called at school. Well, my, um, my surname's Murphit, so I got Smurfit as well. Oh, right. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> But, you know, my dear mother always used to say to me when I'd come home and say, you know, kids were saying mean things to me. She'd say, don't worry about it, they're dicks. Yeah. You know, and my um, dad was the same, sticks and, and stones. Yeah, sticks and stones. And when did that cease to be relevant? You know, we've got people who are outraged if you don't use correct pronouns. And now they're, I mean, we're, we're watching at the moment unfolding a stuff, seeing as we're talking about stuff, a stuff journalist that has doxed a person who tweeted anonymously for reasons of their job and going after their job. And now the trans activists are now also doxing that person and going Mm. after their job. When did journalists uh, see fit to pursue people on the basis of wrong think and wrong speak and try and cost people their jobs? It's insane where we've got to. And when did sticks and stones cease to be relevant? I'm not sure, but it's become, everyone's become so precious. And in the world and in a democracy, we're all different and that's the way it should be. And they've taken away the right to debate. I remember when I was young, my dad was a lawyer as well. We would have debate around the table. Mm. And I used to have to watch all the political debates, which I thought were really boring when I was little. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm so glad that he made me do that. 
And I'm so glad that he taught me to be tough and not to worry about names. I mean, I've got a special needs son and we face discrimination every day and I've had to advocate for him since the day he was born. Mm. But that's real discrimination. And I mean, people will still use the R word and I don't particularly like it, but I'm not going to start crying over it or, yeah, going mm. after someone for their job. Your upbringing is similar to mine, where I was encouraged as a child to participate in debates and discussions with politicians that were around our dinner table, you know, and, mm. and I can name them going all the way back to Muldoon, just about mm. every prime minister I've sat there and argued with, uh, cabinet ministers, other MPs, uh, you know, they were always in and around our house and my parents never told me to shut up. They never sent me away. They, they included me in the discussion. And so mm. I learned at a very young age that if you're talking to people, you're getting somewhere. Yeah. And if you stop talking to people, then you're creating silos of information, silos of ideas exactly. with no cross-pollination. And, Is you it- know, that's where I've seen, you know, Winston Peters talking about freedom of expression mm-hmm. and why he went down to the Wellington protest, not to grandstand and make a speech and speechify or do anything for the media, but to listen and to talk. Yeah, absolutely. There's a great saying that belief is the enemy of all knowledge. Mm. And debates are great because you come in with one perspective and you listen to the other person, which Winston is very good at listening. Mm. And you learn and you actually develop that knowledge. But when you've just got this belief and you can't see past it, you're not going to get anywhere. So, I mean, I've just been so impressed with Winston, one coming down to Wellington. I remember him seeing this old man in the crowd and I was like, everyone's like, who's that? And then everyone's on their phones sort of saying, it's Winston, it's Winston. And there was just this excitement in the village and he didn't want cameras. He doesn't like the fanfare. He just quietly goes about it. And there is some stuff I'm aware of at the moment, which I can't say publicly. It's all good stuff. Mm. But he really, he sits down and listens and he considers and he's quite able to change his mind or progress because he's not stuck in belief. He is after knowledge and the truth. Well, you know, that's what I've found with Winston. And, you know, him and I catch up every now and then uh, just on the quiet. We don't make a song and dance about it. We sit Mm -hmm. there and we just talk. And, you know, we've been known to talk for hours, (laughs) the the two of us, about (laughs) Everything going back in history, you know, his knowledge in politics. His intellect is amazing. Is vast. You know, he's quoting people that, you know, I I know what he's talking about, but I can't remember the exact quote, but he's quoting it, you know, directly. And we just sit there and talk. And then, you know, the funny thing that I find is a couple of days later or even a couple of weeks later, I see him say something at a public meeting or put out a press release. And the things that I was arguing with him about mm-hmm. and we were disagreeing on, he's now picked those up and adopted them without making a fanfare out of it, you know, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I better go and have a few more of these chats with Winston. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the party is so much about democracy. So when I did my first um, interview with a few of the board members, mm. they did say, like, we're a real democratic party. And you've heard that so many times. I sort of went, yeah, we'll see. But when I went along to conference, it was amazing, like with the remits, like reading them and having actually full-on debates with the members and then would mm. vote for or no or for an amendment. 
And then everyone would go out for their morning tea and like no one was upset because it's just part of the culture of New Zealand first is to debate. And you just, yeah, sip your cup of tea and have like small chat. And then you go back into the room and have these big feisty debates again. And that's how I see a democracy should work. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. how it should work. And, you know, the big parties used to do that. The National Party used to have remit mm. discussions. I can remember going to dozens of conferences in the National Party where they'd debate remits and have people from different opposing views on things and and having mm. these big Donnybrooks inside the party. And these big parties seem to have excised that from their culture. Yeah. Uh, they're now show pieces and set pieces. And you have to adhere to whatever the leader says is what they're going to believe in. In the case of Christopher Luxon, it's an unchallenged belief that climate change is man-made and uh, completely uh, able to be fixed through taxation, because mm. that's the only solution we're ever given, <laughs> right? Yeah. And many, many other things that are taken as doctrine within the parties now without having that robust debate that formulates what the actual policy will be because of input from members. Yeah, it's so important to have the input from members. But not only that, we're the only party that allows the press to come into conference, film it, like we're so transparent. Mm. We've got nothing to hide. And I think maybe because Winston was a lawyer, I mean, I think he's still got his practicing certificate. He, he does. That... He's used to debate. He's used to looking at things from different perspectives and then coming to conclusions rather than having a conclusion and working backwards. Um, so, yeah, that's the foundation of the party, and I think that's why I really feel that I've found my political home. Did that, I'm just loving it. Did, did that sort of I, – um, I know you were previously in Democracy NZ. Mm -hmm. Have you had any other political involvement in other parties prior to Democracy no, NZ? Um, quite asleep. I just was so busy doing life mm. that I didn't pay that much attention. Always voted national, <laughs> <laughs> which is strange to strange to say now. Um, but no, I hadn't. I'd run for the DHB in two thousand and sixteen because I was very concerned about the health system back then. Because obviously, having a child with a disability, we spent a lot of time in and out of Starship when he was little. Yeah. So I think we spent three months in Starship when he was five months old. Yeah. So I wanted to do that and I campaigned quite well. I just got missed out by two, but mm. everyone was like, that's great for your first campaign. Fantastic. Next time go for it. But then my husband got sick. So I just didn't have the time at that point. Yeah. So your first foray into politics was Democracy New Zealand, and you famously left Democracy Well, New six Zealand. of us left following yeah. the funder and nine others at the start of the year and a lot of volunteers in between. And now you've sort of worked worked into New Zealand first, and you're in what I would describe as a winnable list position. What is yeah, it, absolutely. What, what, does the, what does New Zealand first need to get you into Parliament? I understand it's 8.8% .8 of the party vote, and given the polls, I think that is very achievable. We have a history of a surge as we go into Election Day, Yeah. although a lot of the votes are actually cast, I think it's October the 2nd, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So 8.8%, ironically, that's what ACT is sitting on in the latest poll that was uh, published the other day uh, with News Hub. 
mm. they get 11 MPs, you're number 11 on the list. So at 8.8%, yes. if, uh, if the people who back you from the freedom movement lock in their support in behind New Zealand First, then you're in parliament. Well, it's interesting. I was talking to a person, to say person, from one of the major parties the other day at one of the debates, mm. and they actually said, look, you've got a real chance of getting in. And mm. I said, yeah, I think so. And they did say, they said no, because one, the polls, you can never completely trust them and they're sort of surging. But they said also, you know, you're going to have the advantage of the wasted vote as well. And I was just like, I didn't expect that to come from them, but they obviously love the wasted vote as well. Well, you know, at the last election, 2020 election, I think the wasted vote delivered an extra five seats to the Labour Party. Yeah. And three seats to the National Party and one each to the Greens and, and someone else. But uh, So that's what I'm sort of saying out. to people. Yeah. If you, you might not like Winston, but Winston's only one part of the party. It's mm. actually run by caucus and the members. Even if there's 60% that you like, he's probably the only realistic option of getting a voice into parliament. And do you want national being the government without a New Zealand first handbrake? I don't. No, neither do I. So people just, I mean, there's lots of people out there that are doing things from the bottom of their heart, very aspirational, but we've got two and a half weeks left to go. Mm. We need to get realistic. So if you want a voice in parliament, then New Zealand first, in my opinion, is the only choice. In terms of freedom voters, there's three candidates at 10, 11, and 12 mm. that would be classed as freedom voters. What about Casey? <laughs> oh, well, Casey is number three. So, yeah. so let's let's put that, let's say there's four in there, right? Um, at 8.8, at you at number 11 is in there. Mm -hmm. uh, at just a bit over nine, Lee Donahue gets in there. And at 8.8, .8, of course, it brings in Erica Harvey as well. Yes. That's a, a good core of solid freedom candidates that would have an influence on a caucus that's, you know, that's it's almost a third of caucus if you include Casey, uh, Casey as well. It's mm -hmm. a third of caucus. Are you going to get a third of caucus with any other party? I don't think so. And even though other people not might not be outspoken, people are aware of what has happened in New Zealand in the last three years. And I've been welcomed into the top 15. Yeah. Like there was no one sort of like, wow, there's this horrible article about you. They've defended me. They wrapped themselves around me. Mm. It was the people in the freedom movement that were making the big fuss saying Winston's not standing up for you, which actually wasn't the case. We just got, weren't going to add fuel to the fire. And he came out quite strongly last week to Sean Plunkett. Do you think that some people in the freedom movement are a little too pure? I think because of what the government has done, creating all the hysteria, mm. people having to find their own information, not trusting, actually seeing that the government has lied, whether it's been willingly or not, there is a lot of distrust in parliament. So I don't think they're actually thinking practically. They're very set on what they think things should be, and that's great, but that's not actually the reality we're operating in. So they need to actually come back to reality 
And if they want to create what they think is the right way to do it, you've got to have good people in parliament and it's going to take years. Like no one walks into parliament and changes the world in a day. It just doesn't happen. And we're going to have to start with the biggest problems first and then work our way back. So, I mean, some people are concerned that I'm going to have to take an oath. And for me, there's way bigger problems in the world. But you're a lawyer. You have to take an oath almost every day. (laughs) You you have to honour an oath every day. Yes. Right? So I don't understand that. Like, you know, it, it drives me to distraction that there seems to be this focus on these ideas that are just not relevant to New Zealand, talking about all sorts of, you know, actions around the world and and beliefs. Take, for example, the sovereign citizen argument. Mm. Superficially, I agree with it that, you know, an individual is sovereign. It's paramount in terms of some of the aspects of our Bill of Rights, particularly when it comes to medical treatment, which was ignored by by Mm. the government, ignored by the Human Rights Commission, ignored by the judiciary, and they're taking it to this whole new extension. We're saying, well, that doesn't apply to me because I'm a sovereign citizen. Well, that just sounds crazy to, to the average punter out there, and they can't grasp that. And so that means that whatever good things those people have to say about anything, it gets colored by those out there on the limb type of ideas and therefore the good ideas they have don't get listened to. Yeah, that's probably quite true. I mean, the media's also done the same with me. They've taken, they're trying to colour me and taint my reputation. Yeah. Yeah, but as I say to people, with the sovereign person, at the end of the day, we've got to look who holds the power in society. That's right. So just holding up a piece of paper, and we saw this down in Wellington, it didn't stop what happened, did it? No. Can't stop a baton with a piece of paper. No. And that's the problem with the state. It has these coercive powers, and they also control the judiciary. Mm, And there's just been absolute overreach, and that's why we need to get into the belly of the beast, so to speak, to actually bring it back. (laughs) And we're a centralist party, so we're very much about common sense, not extremist ideas. Well, I mean, that's, that's the thing, isn't it? The wasp nest. It, what mm. what people call the beehive, yeah. wasp nest. In order to to destroy a wasp nest, you actually have to get right into it mm. and and dig it out from the inside. You can't kill it from the outside. It's very difficult to do that. It, it, that well, we've seen that. We've protested. I don't know how many open letters I've written to government. We've been to court. We achieved very little. I think with the Freedom Village, we actually did achieve the dropping of the traffic light system because there was enough public pressure and just so many people of different walks of life came to that village. Yeah. People that had taken the vaccine, people that hadn't taken the vaccine, but we were all standing there at anti the mandates. Like this was just not right. This is not the New Zealand that we were brought up in. This is not why three of my great uncles lost their lives in the war fighting for democracy. And and that's, you know, that's what prompted me to go to Wellington as well and spend some, you know, I didn't spend the whole time there. I had a, mm. you know, my job to to look after, but also. I think most people did. <laughs> exactly. But but there was plenty of people cycling through there because they believed in, in what they were standing for, what we were standing for, what we were fighting for. Mm. And, you know, I, 
my great-grandfather uh, was terribly disabled in Gallipoli. Uh, my father-in-law uh, fought in Vietnam, standing up for these principles of democracy. And yet when we get a little bug that comes into the country, democracy went out the window. It disappeared. Mm-hmm. You know, we almost nearly didn't have an election in 2020. You know, because, so scary, because of like lockdowns, we- they, they could have done it, and and most New Zealanders would have gone, oh well, you know, let's just let's just delay it, delay it. It won't matter. I could have well, seen that easily happening. Well, they've done it in Tauranga. I can't vote for my council. <laughs> well, I you mean, know, they've just extended that, haven't they? So I think it's for the CEO, not the actual election. But I've got yeah. to look into it. it. But it seems that our freedoms, uh, our democracy. All the things that people fought and died for were thrown out the window with enormous speed. Mm. And the institutions that are supposed to be a bulwark against that, our courts, our Human Rights Commission, said nothing. Did and that's what nothing. really surprised me as a lawyer, and I'm a commercial property lawyer, I'm not a litigator, but I have a sense of justice and so when I put my little head up and my husband wasn't too happy about that, he's like, you'll get shot down. And I have been. I'm still taking the shots and the hits. I was so surprised that my colleagues didn't stand with me. There were so few of us actually standing up. But yet people in the background, I had another person yesterday who's in-house counsel at a very large, well-known um, company reaching out to me just saying how much, how proud he was of me of standing up if he could support me in the background, but still was too afraid to actually stand up as a lawyer. When did they get this power over us? Why can't we stand up for injustice? And that's where I see a little bit of me in Winston. He's always stood up when there's been injustice and hasn't been concerned about the consequences. You just do what's right. And that's what I've been doing in the last three years as well. That's exactly right. There are very few politicians that will do what's right. For the country, uh, there's very few people who will. But they're there for stand. the people. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. They're supposed to be there for the people. You they're know. meant to be representatives, <laughs> but they aren't. It's all in the language. <laughs> we, we we saw that though, and you know, you'd have Jacinda Ardern would come down and talk to some rowdy school kids who are waving some placards and and bunked off school because they want to save the planet. Mm. She'd talk to them. Talk to and, Greenpeace. She'd talk yeah, to Yeah, that was so hard because it was just after what happened in Wellington. I wasn't there for the last couple of days. I came home. Um, everyone was like, because you've got Sam, he looks normal, but obviously has quite a severe intellectual disability. Like the cops wouldn't have understood what he was about. No. And that's no criticism on the cops. They just, when someone looks normal, it's hard to tell. Yeah. Um, so I was just losing my point. But, you know, when they did the climate change protest a couple of days later and she said, we welcome you onto Parliament grounds. These are your grounds. Yeah. And I think everybody that had been through the village was like, excuse me, what did you just say? Yeah. Well, and if you look at the, you know, few months before the Wellington protest, there was all the Black Lives Matter protests mm-hmm. and the violence that occurred with those, and nobody said anything. It was accepted. And no, because we should have a democratic right to protest. Yeah, that's right. It's a fundamental right for democracy. Yeah, and, and it galls me to hear David Seymour still claim that he met the leaders of the protest. Now, I've spoken to almost all the leaders of the protest and the various groups that mm-hmm. were at the protest, and not a single one of them 
has said they met David Seymour. So either he's lying or they are. And I know who I believe. It's not well, David heard, Seymour. A friend of mine said that in a meeting, he said that he drafted the little note from the leaders of parliament saying that they wouldn't correspond. And then other times he said he didn't. So I'm not quite sure. But just from an outsider observing, the number of resignations or firing of his candidates for having different opinions to him, I'm not sure how he can speak about freedom of speech and democracy because in a democracy, there are all different voices Mm. and all those voices should have a voice. Well, everybody should have a voice and they should, we all have a voice. Not Mm. enough of us use it, but a fair amount of us did. And, you know, we're pilloried for being wacko and crazy. You're a lawyer, a commercial lawyer, commercial Mm. property lawyer. You're not a stupid person. No, and as like Sean Plunkett's been trying to get me on, um, and I'm just sort of considering that option at the moment. But as I said to him, back when I wrote my first open letter to Parliament and OIA on the 25th of August 2021, Mm. I put it out there that vaccine passports could become very real. I was labelled as a conspiracy theorist. What happened? (laughs) We We had... A nation divided because of vaccine passports. Because of health So, status. yes, I'm not a silly little girl. Mm. Um, I actually am an intelligent business person. I have my own practice. I have 20-plus years' experience. I have worked at some of the biggest firms in New Zealand, the largest firm in Australasia. But it's very easy to try and shut down a person by just slapping on a label such as a conspiracy theorist, which, as we know, was developed by the CIA, that term. Mm. And disinformation spread super spreader and all sorts of Mm. nonsense you know if you went through and looked at the mainstream media articles about yourself and believed every word that they said you'd be sitting there with a tinfoil hat on surely (laughs) no sticks and stones as i said Mm. my whole life i've had to put up with different comments and yeah so i'm not taking any of it to heart i'm here to do a job and that is to take back our country And they need my brain and intellect and ability to write and those legal skills within the team because we all bring a different skill set. And as a team, we are going to be amazing. And with the latest polls, it show and Christopher Luxon has been kind of forced into a corner where he's now had to admit that he will actually pick up the phone and ring ring New Zealand first and Mm. have a discussion. Uh, That's given license, I think, to many people that have been vacillating or finding it difficult to make up their mind on where to place their support. Will New Zealand First make it back into Parliament? Will they not? It's clear now that New Zealand First is going to make it back into Parliament. Very clear. And and it's also clear that Christopher Luxon is not going to be able to get there with just the ACT Party and will have to include New Zealand first in some of the some sort of discussion along the way and work out what that is. That then means that those people who have previously been wondering whether or not to vote for New Zealand first or for any other party that's against this government have now got a safe haven in New Zealand first, where any extra vote they get now means extra MPs. Extra MPs yes. means better leverage, better negotiation power and we could actually see even though Winston doesn't have any bottom lines or New Zealand First doesn't have any bottom lines it means that you've got more options available to you especially if you're of a similar size to the ACT Party. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, Winston often says, how do you expect me to fly to the moon if you only give me a microlight? So mm. let's actually give them a rocket ship this time. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that I always have, you know, hundreds of people commenting on my website, uh, bagging New Zealand First and Winston Peters. And if you say to them, well, why, what's the issue here? And they say, oh, he's never delivered anything. Just name one he's thing. Delivered a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know that. And they say one guy, yeah. one guy who's a true blue blinkered National Party person, Christopher Luxon's a brilliant businessman. Blah blah blah. It goes on and on. He says, name me one thing. Name me one thing that Winston Peters has ever delivered. Eighteen hundred police for a start. <laughs> well, well, it didn't even need to do that. It's just the gold yeah. card, the super gold yeah. card, right? That's one thing that it has delivered and continues to deliver. Mm. Um, but the people who complain the most about New Zealand First or Winston Peters never vote for them. It's astonishing. You can't find very many New Zealand First voters who are upset or bitter about whatever's happened. The, the, people who, the people who are most upset about Winston Peters and New Zealand First are usually National Party voters because Winston didn't choose them. Mm. No, absolutely. I often ask that question myself. I'm like, well, did you vote for him? No. And then it's like, well, how can you comment? But he's done so much. <laughs> but even with like the Therapeutic Products um, Act, mm. he helped stop that in 2007 and 2017. The moment he's not in Parliament, it gets passed. Yeah, Rust never sleeps with bureaucrats. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, but also, so I've been surprised on the campaign trail. People honestly believe that you can just go into Parliament and change things. They don't seem to realise that you have to work with other parties, that you need 51% of the votes in Parliament usually. I mean, sometimes there's an entrenchment provision like the Electoral Act. Yeah. So you have to work together and negotiate. And Winston is a very skilled negotiator. And just with the TPP, like I get that all the time, he didn't stop the TPP. Yes, he didn't, but he managed to get the investor state dispute settlements out of contracts for five different nation states. And that's such a dangerous clause. So his lawyer brain goes straight to the heart of the matter and will just boom that out of the water. He doesn't worry so much about the fluffy stuff. So he's actually achieved a lot by just getting that clause out. Yeah, being a handbrake. And that's the thing is, you know, in 2017, people were saying uh, he betrayed the country by choosing the Labour Party and it was his fault uh, for Jacinda Ardern. And they forget that in 2020, 350,000 former National Party voters voted Labour in 2020. Exactly. And Winston Peters and Nat New Zealand First were out of Parliament after 2020. Mm. You can hardly blame the excesses of the Ardern-Hipkins regime on Winston Peters when so many National Party voted, previous National Party voters voted Labour in 2020. Exactly. And I think a lot of that is actually coming from the freedom community. There's just memes are really great ways to get into people's psyche. Mm. Um, and I get that all the time. And it's like, well, in 2017, he tried to negotiate with National. They First. didn't really want to... <laughs> Yeah, negotiate with him. So yeah. he's representing a party who has policies that have come from the remits and come from convention. So then he goes across to Labour and they are going to deliver more of the party's policies. So which one do you go with? And if I recall correctly, there wasn't a huge difference 
in the vote between National and Labour, and none of them had actually achieved over 50%. No, well, that's right. And, you know, I, I know people that were sitting around the negotiation tables mm-hmm. on both sides, both New Zealand First and National. And, and I know that National Caucus members and senior MPs were screaming at Bill English saying, do the deal. Because when you think about it, the Provincial Growth Fund, if Bill English was, had half a brain and it was any good at negotiation, instead of rejecting it outright, he would have said, well, okay, we'll do the Provincial Growth Fund. And yes, you can have Shane Jones as minister in there. But that minister reports directly to the Minister of Finance mm-hmm. and had some element of control over the Provincial Growth Fund, whereas Ardern was completely doolally and mm-hmm. uh, thought that if she just issued directives you know, and, and motherhood and apple pie statements and bumper sticker slogans, that everything would be yeah. all good. There was no actual management, and Grant Robertson uh, has the fiscal responsibility of a, of a problem gambler. Mm-hmm. Um, it was never going to manage it properly. But Bill English could have. He could have put, applied that discipline to it and done a deal, and, and the outcome may have been slightly different. I don't believe that the outcome for how they handled the pandemic would have been any different, even if Bill English was leaving, because well, they just believed. people, I mean, he knew that Judith was coming after his seat. Mm. Like, would Judith Collins have handled it any differently to Ardern? I don't believe I don't so. Believe and, so. I, and, and I know Judith Collins very well. She's a, a good friend. Uh, but I don't believe they would have handled it any differently because politicians don't know everything. And what they don't know gets filled in for them by bureaucrats. And And that's where a lot of the problem lies, just too many bureaucrats. Ashley Bloomfield and and his offsider would have been the people that they would have listened to and they would have done exactly the same thing. The only Mm -hmm. difference would have been they would have been more efficient at taking away our freedoms. They would have been harder, faster, and quicker at removing our rights and they would have been a more efficient fascists. And that's the only difference that I see between the Na- Labour Party and the National Party, that mm-hmm. National would be slightly more efficient at taking away our rights. And they haven't got someone to say, no, you can't do that. No, and that's why we need to get back into Parliament. I mean, also, there was the consideration of National being very unstable at the time as well. Mm. And looking back, they've been through, what, five different leaders? Oh, no. Was it six? Yeah. But, well, you know... Labor did the same thing. If you remember, they had mm. Phil Goff and then they had David Shearer and then they had David Cunliffe and then they had Andrew Little and then they had Jacinda Ardern. So Labor. But then we had Jacinda Mania. I mean, I've I got know. friends that absolutely loved her. I bet you they don't now. No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, she, she's had to go overseas because she can't go anywhere in New Zealand without people hissing at her. Yeah, it's interesting her half full tank but yet she's working overseas quite hard and some quite prominent positions mm. plenty in the tank to write a book yeah and still getting paid by the taxpayer which is one of the most concerning things well that's the problem isn't it i mean this is one thing that i admire about winston peters is that he does not agree with sinister positions for ex-politicians and mm-hmm. appointing them to diplomatic roles because we need to give Bill or Fred or Johnny a little job in London or Trevor in Ireland. Winston has always said, no, we should have career diplomats do those jobs. Mm. 
And he's, and that's, I, you know, I always tease him a little bit when I have, have a drink with him. And I say, you know what, Winston, half your problem is, is that you don't look after your own people by putting them into jobs. Because can you name any ex-New Zealand first MP that's gone and got a cushy job? You can't say Shane Jones because he was an ex-Labour MP who was given a cushy job. Yeah, no, I'm unaware of any. Most have mm. gone on to be like businesses, like most of us are business people. Yeah. So we actually can balance a budget because we know what it's like to have money in the bank and pay tax and have to balance things. Mm. I mean, Labour's shameless about giving jobs for their mates. Annette yeah. King in Cam- Canberra, Trevor Mallard mm. in, in Ireland. Yeah, Mike oh, Where's uh, Ashley Bloomfield at the moment? Oh, yeah, he's got a nice yeah. cushy job. And, uh, and National's no better. You know, they're a little bit more sort of professional about it, although the way they shoehorn John Collins into uh, the High Commissioner in London to get him out of being the president of the National mm-hmm. Party was quite shameless and quite, you know, venal, really, in the way they did yeah. it. But but that's what those two big parties do. Mm-hmm. And yet Winston gets all the criticism. I mean, I used to say John Key could walk an old lady into the middle of Queen Street on in, you know, on a weekday at lunchtime outside the Civic and beat her with a baseball bat and everyone would say Winston Peters did it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is true. But none of us really want to be, I don't want to be a politician. I definitely Good. do not want to be a career politician. I've just seen what's gone wrong in this country mm. and no one else is putting up their hands. So I'm like, well, if we want change, I'm going to have to be the change. So I would love to be in there. I'd love to say one term, but I don't think that's long enough because the issues are so big and it's going to take a generation to sort some out. But I think I'm a two-term politician and then I just want to go back to my ordinary life. What you say is correct, and I've been saying this for a long time, especially directed at people in the freedom movement. And I've been saying to them that you can't form a party and get in and change the world in five minutes. Mm. A party like New Zealand First or indeed ACT and look at the Greens as well. The Greens have been around since 1972 in various different forms in the Values Party. That's how long it's taken them to get there. Now, sure, mm. they've got crazy ideas, you know, and they're communists, really. But New Zealand First is 30 years, 30 years to get to where they are now. The ACT Party is formed uh, around the same time, around 30 years it's taken to get to where they are because they're both creatures of the MMP environment. And mm-hmm. then if you turn around and say to them, if you say to the Matt Kings of this world or you know the NZ loyal people or even new conservatives, what's your 30-year plan? Like, what? But that's what it takes. That's the amount of determination and grit and stickability that you have to have in order to make a difference in New Zealand politics. It's it such hard work, and I'm... I came in, I was very naive when I came in and there's still a lot for me to learn. And I'm just so glad I'm with a party that has that experience because I will make mistakes. <laughs> but these people, hand on heart, like I think they really truly believe they're doing the right thing. Mm. But they're not going to get there in two and a half weeks. No. Come back in 2026, have a real shot of it, build it up. I mean, Winston is 78 years old and I've never seen a person work so hard and I'm a hard worker, Mm. but he is going from public meeting to public meeting. He just doesn't stop. No, he doesn't. And that's to get to that 5 or 6% on the polls. There is 
if they aren't polling now at that five or six percent, it is humongous to get to that point. And I honestly do not believe that will happen. So all they are doing is giving more seats to National and Labour and the Greens. So voters really need to consider that, carefully reflect on that. I mean, all the stuff about the wasted vote being a psyop, I'm just, how can people even say that? It is just actually a it's fact. A, it's a, a fact. fact is a fact. <laughs> it's not a psyop. You know, but it's like I've been accused of running a psyop, you know, on behalf of the National Party. And the person who said that clearly doesn't know my history with the National Party and the animus that exists between me and them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not. What they don't understand is, is this isn't a psyop for me. I love talking. We about love New politics. Zealand. We're concerned but, about. Yeah, New Zealand. I mean, I wasn't even born here. You know, I was born in Fiji, yeah. but New Zealand's my home. Yeah, and uh, and I want New Zealand to be the best country it can be. I've got relatives that fought in wars. Mm. You know, seriously injured uh, in wars, uh, wounded out of you know out of Vietnam. These people put their bodies on the line, and the least that I can do is use my intellect, my wit, and my voice to get people enthusiastic about New Zealand. And I want the same for every politician, not just from New Zealand First, but from Mm. the National Party, the Labour Party, the Green Party, to love this country as much as I do, and clearly as much as you do. Is it too much to ask that our politicians actually give a shit about the country? No, and that's what they should be doing. If you want to serve the people, you've got to serve the people and actually represent all the different voices, not some undemocratic organisations in the background that seem to be pushing agendas out. But also just finding on the campaign trail, we're all newbies, we're all first-time candidates, Mm. and it's actually been great to get to know people. Yes, we have different policies, but we do all care about our country And just actually the ability to listen to the other side and knowing that we have to work together in Parliament. So you've actually got to build relationships with people. You don't need to agree with them. As I say, that's what happens in a democracy. You don't need to agree with everybody. But to find the things that we can actually change, like lots of us are really concerned about co-governance. So if we all work together, we can actually get that stopped. Winston's been talking about co-governance for decades but unfortunately, we weren't sophisticate enough to actually understand what he was saying at the time. But now that it's on our doorsteps and affecting our lives, everyone's, well, most people in New Zealand don't want separatism and racism. It should be one vote for all, one health system for all. So by building those relationships, we can actually make those changes. But if you get people that are just trying to shoot people down the whole time, how do they expect to work with anybody especially if they've only got one or two voices in Parliament, if they're lucky. Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right there. It, we have to get past the polarisation, and that's the, the if if there was any, a single word that would use to describe the legacy of Jacinda Ardern, it would be polarisation. Yes. She separated New Zealand in so many ways on race. Well, she even admitted that on camera. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep, that is what it is. It's, it's exactly what she said. And she yes. smiled about it as she did it. The funny thing is, though, is everyone forgets that just a short while before that, she said it was never going to happen. She actually said, no, we wouldn't discriminate against people if they refused the vaccine. She said that. Exactly. And then she brought in discrimination. Nope. But I think people are starting to see that. I mean, 
families were divided, friends were divided. Mm. There was a chairwoman of a company that I was working, acting for, that actually said that she wanted to see the unvaccinated die in the streets. And at that point, I was just like, what has happened to my country? Mm. But people are now reflecting, and it's hard because they have to admit that they were sucked in. And wrong. But we are getting there, and without getting anyone into trouble, on the campaign trail, a person from a major party actually said that they were upset that the nation had been divided by unvaxxed and vaxxed. Mm. So there are these new politicians coming through, the younger ones as well, that actually do care about New Zealanders and Kiwis and our future. So we do, yeah, the polarisation and it's also binary, but like life is about nuances. It's not yes, no. Mm. That's right. We have to live in the modern world. And, and we have, have to live in reality. You have to live in reality. And, you know, yeah. that's why we set up Reality Check Radio. So no, I knew you were going to do the plug then. <laughs> I walked into that one. Yeah, you, <laughs> you got me, Cam. Yeah. <laughs> you walked straight into it. But you know what? That's that. It's important. You know, that's mm-hmm. why I've been talking to as many candidates as I can get on the show. And, and it's a, a terrible shame that the National Party and the ACT Party have refused to have anybody come on the show with, with me for whatever reason. They, they never give a reason. And so it's not a psyop that I've been interviewing New Zealand First candidates and pushing New Zealand First. The fact of the matter is, is that of the hundreds of candidates that we've asked that my producer emails and corresponds with, uh, pretty much only the New Zealand First candidate said, yeah, sure, we'll make some time for you. We'll come on. And so there's that. no conspiracy. There's no psyop. There's no uh, nefarious thing is we've asked politicians from every party to come on, including the Green Party and Labour Party, and they've refused. And New Zealand First have accepted the invitations to come on Reality Check Radio. And as a result, more people have understood the depth of the candidates that exist within that party. And, and as I say, it's a terrible shame that the others haven't done that. So, you know, I really thank you for coming on the show and sharing your thoughts, your vision about where we're heading, what we need to do. And you're right, it is a, a, a big task that we need to do to fix New Zealand. And we can do that one listener at a time, one voter at a time, one party at a time. And eventually we'll spread information it's not disinformation or misinformation it's information all information is is valid until you know we fact check it and test it and, <laughs> don't use those words <laughs> i mean actually fact check it you know you look yeah. you look back on the things we were told let's start off with don't believe anything you hear unless it's said by us said one by, source of truth one yeah. source of truth said by jacinda ardern in hamilton two days before she locked us down, when she was denying that she was going to lock us down, that it was disinformation, and we haven't said it, so it's not happening. And then two days later... not even talking to your neighbours. It was dangerous to talk to your neighbours. Yeah. yeah. Just fanciful stuff like, oh, you can catch COVID from a packet of frozen peas that's come from Australia. Just insane stuff. Mm, Exactly. that, That we were ridiculed for saying, well, that's bullshit. But they, I always use this example as well. So as I said, my husband said he didn't want anyone to be locked down. If he wanted to stay at home, he could stay at home. 
then during the, I think it was the second lockdown, there were no cases in Tauranga Hospital at all. His kidneys were failing from the chemotherapy trial that he'd been on. Mm. One test came back, the threshold for the test, so when it goes, the little red bit going, we need yeah. to investigate further, should have been 60. His reading came back at 911. Right. So we were panicked. What's happening? Where are we going? He could not go to Tauranga Hospital for five days to get the next lot of tests because of COVID, despite not having one patient with COVID in the hospital. But yet the response to the pandemic was, it was all about our health and saving people like my husband. Well, guess what? He didn't find it to be about his health and he didn't find it to be about saving him. Mm. Just Sorry, I'm a bit passionate about that, but that's how it's affected our family. Well, you know, people, I think, too, are finding that uh, now a lot of the things that they signed up for, injected into their arms, are causing problems in their families. And people are angry and getting angrier because the politicians keep telling us things like safe and effective. Uh, that's why we need this full independent inquiry outside Parliament, no politicians involved, experts from New Zealand and overseas for a good one year so that it is independent and that the people can actually trust the recommendations and the decisions mm. that come out of that. Because at the moment, we do not trust politicians anymore. I mean, I, well, can I think trust, trust in the media and politicians have. But even the medical fraternity, you know, trust in the medical fraternity has gone through the floor because they all went in lockstep, even if they didn't agree with it. Mm. You know, I, I know the discussions that I had with my GP, who was a great uh, GP. He he actually told me not to to take the vaccine because I'd had, I'd had a stroke and mm. it was a known side effect, but they just weren't allowed to talk about it. But he wouldn't recommend that to me. So he told me not to. I was never going to do it anyway. Mm. But but he told me that, but he had to do that very quietly and not make a song and dance about it because otherwise the medical council would have come after him. Now, he's retired now. It would be interesting to get his point of view now. Well, after my husband fact. was told the same um, by a specialist that he would not be recommending it for my husband because there wasn't enough research. So that's where we started to question what was going on. Um, people will throw this anti-vaxxer terminology at me. My son's fully vaccinated, mm. uh, apart from the COVID-19 vaccine, but that's also because he's got a heart murmur. Mm. And as we know now, and as I started doing the research, although I was told that I was a conspiracy theorist, young men do have a higher incidence of myocarditis and heart issues with the vaccine. That's a proven point now. Mm. And different governments around the world are looking at that. So I chose not for him to get the vaccine, which... I'd end up pulling him out of school because he was being excluded, just more and more discrimination for a kid or that already gets discriminated against. Mm. And I don't think that's fair that, that the government did this to New Zealanders, to hardworking, yeah. good, yeah. honest Kiwis. That's right. They, they, they separated the country on the basis of a medical intervention. Yeah. You know, whatever happened to, yeah, you know, these are the same people that protest in the streets and scream, my body, my choice, when it comes to things like abortion. But when we said, no, my body, my choice, I'm not going to get injected, we were attacked, vilified. And that's when I started realising something was very wrong. Mm -hmm. And 
as I said, my first open letter to government in August 2021, I was so green, I thought I'd actually get a response. <laughs> and when it was just start silence, silence, I was like, what is happening? And that's when I started to ask some questions because I went to law school with Simon Bridges. He was in my year. Mm. He would say hello to me in the streets if he saw me. So I was like, why is even Simon ignoring me? And I even wrote on my fa- on his Facebook page, please reach out to me. Here's my mobile number. <laughs> so once again, Radio New Zealand, I do give out my mobile number. Um, but he never reached out. And I was like, we're in dire straits. If politicians aren't actually even going to start a conversation with people, where are we headed? And looking three years, well, close to three years back, I do not like where we've ended up. And now you're about to into parliament fingers crossed i hope so yeah fingers crossed and you will continue to keep conversations happening with the people the voters who put you there yeah i may not always agree with stuff personally but i'm there to represent the people so it is my job to have those conversations and on that note I think we've used up plenty of time. Yeah, we have. Time. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm like Winston, we'll just talk like for hours. <laughs> uh, well, I'm known to be able to talk for hours. You know, pe- yeah. pe- people talk, what is it that men have apparently, you know, X number of words that they can use in, in a day or something? Oh, I've what said, are you telling us, Cam? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe maybe I've got a bit too much female DNA. Yeah. All good. <laughs> well, great. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. No, you're most welcome and all the best for the election. And uh, and we hope that yourself and, and a good number of New Zealand First candidates make it into Parliament and we can get that review. We can get that handbrake applied to the globalist agenda and uh, and we can start to have our country back in the control of New Zealanders. Absolutely. So give us that rocket ship because we want to fly to the moon. Thanks a lot. Great. Thank you. Well, that was a wide ranging discussion and you can certainly see the dedication and commitment from Kirsten towards democracy and freedom. It's in the hands of the voters. And if New Zealand First gets 8.8%, then she will be a freedom advocate in a party that even Christopher Luxon has said he will have to talk to. Don't forget to send comments on Kirsten's interview to inbox at realitycheck.radio or text to 2057. This is The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy right here on RCR.